Sometimes our minds run amok. God intends to transform every facet of our being. God intends to transform every facet of our being. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. The word sanctify means to make holy, to set apart for a purpose, sanctify you. It really means to be made like Christ, our, our Lord and Savior. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you, how much? Completely. And if we didn't get it from that, He goes on and says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it explicit in that text that God intends to revolutionize, transform us in every conceivable way. Body, soul, and spirit. Intellect, emotion, and will. That which is our immaterial part, soul and spirit, works together with our material part, body, and that's how we live out our lives. There is a constant interplay, a working together, a constant interplay among our intellect, emotion, and will. Our emotions often, nigh unto always, lead us wrongly. Our emotions almost always lead us wrongly. Our will can be influenced by how we feel about a situation. They hurt me, and my automatic, my default mechanism is to defend myself and to justify my spirit, my attitude, and my response to that person. Emotionally, when we are hurt by someone, we almost always respond emotionally toward a reaction that is in kind in likeness to what we received. So our emotions often lead us wrongly. Our will can be influenced by how we feel about a situation. Our mind, our mind ought to analyze what we have learned as we respond to any given situation. But remember this. This is vitally important. Our mind is not always correct based upon what we have learned. Sometimes we have learned improperly. So our emotions, you can count on having wrong responses. And sometimes even as we analyze a situation, we can analyze it improperly based upon how we've been taught. Which is why we have great instruction from God. Our first concept that we want to understand as we are leading our way toward Philippians chapter 4 is we must learn to depend upon God's wisdom. We must learn to depend upon God's wisdom. Our wisdom comes short. Our wisdom is often uh, lacking. It has holes in it. God's wisdom is always full. So we need to learn to depend upon God's wisdom. It is a safeguard against faulty thinking. Take a look in Philippians, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 4. Take a look at verse 23. Familiar passage, I would imagine, to many. God's Word says, Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, or in another translation, diligence. For from it 
flow the springs of life, or in other translations, the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. Guard your heart, because our heart, our heart, this is, this, this is a heart, right? It beats in our chest, pumps blood. It doesn't think. It doesn't do anything other than its biological function. We don't think with it. We don't emote with it. I can put, I heart you. It's just like a cardiac thing on, on a piece, you know, whatever. It's, it's not doing anything. When he talks about the heart, it's coming back to this concept of our mind and our will all in, in, invested together. Our mind and our will. Guard your heart, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. We can feed our heart the wrong information, and the wrong thing will spring forth. True? Is that what this text is telling us? I believe it is. Take a left here to Proverbs chapter 3 now. Please notice verses 5 and 6. Solomon has given us another verse of Scripture that for many of us is very familiar. Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. And do not lean on your own what? Understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. He will direct your paths. So God is giving us insight that while we all have a heart and we, can, we all have a mind and we can all make decisions, not all of the decisions that we would make from our mind even are going to be right and proper. And so we need to learn to depend upon God's wisdom if we're going to safeguard ourselves from faulty thinking. Rather than submitting to our feelings or our misunderstandings, we must learn to submit ourselves to God in accordance to what He has revealed. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 6.13. Romans 6.13 says this, Do not present your members as sin or to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Who's he talking to in Rome? Believers or unbelievers? He's talking to believers. So he's telling believers, don't do this, which means believers can do this. Do not present, place your lives at the disposal of uh, sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. If I do not first submit my heart and my mind to the wisdom of God, I will not place myself at the disposal of God as an instrument for righteousness. I will instead place myself at the disposal of my wisdom, my thinking, my feelings, and I will essentially be serving sin. I'll be an instrument of unrighteousness. So, Paul tells us later in that same book, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. So rather than submitting to our emotions, rather than submitting to our misunderstandings, we must submit ourselves to God in accordance with His Word. We can say, oh yes, I submit to God, I want to follow God, I want to do God's will, but if my life is not in alignment with what God has revealed, then I'm just lying to myself. 
And it's easy to do. It really is. People have been lying to themselves for generations. Go all the way back to a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lied to themselves. Then Cain lied to himself. Right down the line. Why is this? Because the heart of man, that's your heart and my heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Bible continuously warns us about deceiving ourselves. And so, when we talk about uh, surrendering or submitting to God, it has to be in accordance with what He says. He's revealed something. That's how I'm going to understand whether I've actually surrendered myself to my God. And He's revealed something. So, we prepare ourselves for proper decisions by understanding God's Word. I have a list of verses of Scripture. They'll all be on the screen. Just take it in. Don't fade out. The reason being is we're talking about God's Word and we're worshiping God in accordance with His Word. So as we go verse to verse, consider what God is saying concerning this issue of learning to depend upon God and His wisdom. In Proverbs 23.7, the first part of the verse, for as a man thinks within himself, so is he. For as a man thinks, so out of your heart flow the issues of life. As a man thinks, so is he. This is why the Bible tells us in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. This is why later on in that same book, Colossians 3.16, Paul says this, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. How? Richly. What does that mean? In abundance. Let the Word concerning Christ, the Word about Christ, the Word that, that, that speaks of Christ, the Word that, that displays Christ, the Word of the Gospel. Let it dwell in abundance in you. And there's fruitfulness from it. You know what happens? What happens when I have the Word of Christ dwelling in me abundantly, I will be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I will be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in my heart to God. That's what will happen. This is a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 5, which in verse 8 says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another uh, out of reverence for Christ. Those, those concepts that come flying out of our lives, that come flooding from our lives as a result of being filled with the Spirit, are the same results that come from being empowered and overabounding with the Word concerning Christ. The Word of the Gospel is a fruitful word. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The old acronym or, or statement, I don't know, it's old, most of you probably don't even know it. Garbage in, garbage out. It's an old computer programming term. Garbage in, garbage out. And that's what happens. We flood our minds with garbage. Guess what's going to come out? Garbage. Flood our minds with the word of Christ. I'm not just talking about biblical data. There have been many people that have filled their minds with biblical data and garbage still came out. We have to understand what the text is talking about. If it's just a list of do's and don'ts, it's not going to revolutionize your life. It will not change you. You'll change some things. You'll modify your behavior there and there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Word of Christ. We're talking about the Gospel. The Gospel takes people like me 
I was dead in my trespasses and my sin. And makes me alive together with Christ. He takes a person like me, fine to associate with everything going on around here, and He seats me in the heavenly places in Christ. He gives us life and the ability then to have the Word transform us. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says this, the Bible effectively works in you who believe. The Bible effectively works in you who believe. And then in Colossians chapter 1, this great passage of Scripture, Paul's praying for the Colossian church. Listen to what he says. This is incredible. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, filled, not halfway, not three-quarters of the way, filled to the brim with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's like he goes in full circle. He says, I want you to to have God's Word filling you, filling you, filling you to the top. And here's what will happen. This spiritual wisdom and understanding that come from being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Here's what will happen. You will walk in a manner worthy of God. You will fully please Him. You will be fruitful in every good work. You will increase in the knowledge of God. As we're filled with the Word, we desire it more. Because we know what this Word is about. It's about our Savior. And so we must come to this place of humble surrender to God in accordance with His Word. Secondly, our minds are the source of our actions. Our minds are the source of our actions. You'll remember the Lord Jesus speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 12. He says this in verse 34. He was not politically correct. You brood of vipers. Then He asked them a question. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the house, the hands act. Out of the abundance of the hearts, the eyes look. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth takes in. The ears take in. Out of the abundance of the heart, my feet go. I do what I'm filled with. When I'm filled with me, I do me. I can do me all day long. It's easy. When I'm filled with the Spirit, filled with God's Word, filled with the Word concerning Christ, something different comes forth. Our minds are the source of our actions. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, please. Our minds are the source of our actions. Paul makes that abundantly clear in these couple of verses here in Romans chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 5. He says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So, Could we say it this way? Flesh breeds flesh. Flesh breeds flesh. The more we spend our time considering 
the desires of our hearts, the fleshly passions of our hearts, I'll say, the more time we spend there, the more we're going to see the product of that fleshiness coming out. He goes on, but those who live according to the Spirit set the minds, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Could we say, Spirit breeds spiritual? Yes? The Spirit of God breeds spiritual thoughts? The Spirit of God breeds spiritual words? The Spirit of God breeds spiritual desires? The Spirit of God breeds spiritual actions. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It's pretty strong, pretty clear. Verse 7 gives us something else. This is vitally important to our conversation. For the mind that is set on the flesh, will you read the next part with me? Is hostile to God. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, hostile, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The mind set on the flesh. Who is Paul talking to in Romans chapter 8? Believers or unbelievers? He's writing to a church. He's writing to you and me. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God and it cannot do the things that are contained in the law of God. It cannot do it. You can also turn that statement on its head. You can, you can read that in the contrast. The opposite of this statement is also true. The mind set on the Spirit does submit to the law of God and does fulfill the law of God. Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. What does it say? In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so he gives us this this understanding that where my mind is, where I consider, where I meditate, where, where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. Where my heart is, that's where my words will spring forth. The issues of life will spring forth. I must guard my heart. You must guard your heart because our minds, our hearts, are the source of our actions. Thirdly, and head over to Philippians chapter 4 for this, the third concept that we want to consider here is we must meditate on that which strengthens our reliance upon God. We must meditate, think about, consider, process through. We must meditate on that which strengthens our reliance upon God. So we're in Philippians chapter 4. This is our text of Scripture. He says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What we want to notice is the meditation of our hearts should be upon that which will mature our minds. And so he gives us a list. And we're just going to fire through this rather quickly. Um, These concepts all lead our minds toward our God, our Savior, and His Word. This is where we will find these things that are considered in this list most fruitfully. First of all, we should meditate or think 
on those things that are true. And so we have to ask the question, what is the source of truth? Or who is the source of truth? God is the source of truth. And so in Isaiah 65, there's this, this great little passage. He's talking about God making everything new, uh, setting up the, the end of all things. But he uses two, two times a title about our God. Listen to what he says. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear it by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and the hidden uh, and are hidden from my eyes. The concept there is that God is. If you want to know what truth is, you know that God calls himself the God of truth. You'll remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus called the Spirit the Spirit of truth. The source of truth is God Himself. Where will I find this truth? Well, Jesus answered that question very nicely in John 17, 17. When He was praying for us, He said, Sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. If you look in Psalm 19, He talks about the fact that the statutes of the Lord are true. Uh, these things about, about the Lord. You want to find truth? Here it is. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I meditate upon your truth. He says, if you want to think about something, if you're going to meditate on something, because the heart is the source of our actions, the source of our, of our treasure, the source of our thinking, we must meditate on that which is true, which brings us to God Himself and what He has conveyed in the Scriptures. Think about those things that are honorable, things that are worthy of respect. Think on things that are honorable and produce reverent thinking is a way to see that. And then think on those things that are just. The word just there has the idea of righteousness, that which is right. So think on the things that are righteous and lead us toward righteousness. Think on those things that are pure. The word pure there has the root, the root word is hagias, which is the word for holy. Holy is what God is. Think on that which is holy and produces holiness. Don't think, ladies and gentlemen, don't think for a second that you can separate your viewing, reading, and listening habits from the way you live. Our viewing, reading, and listening habits will without a doubt impact the way we live. Because we're feeding our minds something. And our minds take that in. And sometimes, because we're not always as careful as we ought to be to guard our minds, we take it in, and in some way we start to believe the false teaching of these things that we're taking in. And then it leads to the way we act in accordance with it. I have to have X. Have to. Everyone else has X. I have to have X. I've got to eat Y. Why? Because I saw it on Facebook. There's a picture of it. And it looked good. I have to have it. We start to believe things by the way we take information in. Meditating on that which is unholy prepares us to act upon our fleshly passions. Meditating on what is pure or holy prepares our hearts, prepares us to act upon that which is holy. Then he says that which is lovely. 
Whatever is lovely. It's that which produces love. There are lots of things that are lovely in this world. There are lovely scenes that God has made. There are lovely paintings that people have painted. There are lovely people. There are lovely people inside. And there are lovely people outside. There is nothing, folks, nothing as lovely as our Savior. There is nothing as lovely as Him. There is nothing as lovely as considering what God has prepared for those who love Him. There is nothing as lovely as opening our Bibles and turning into, say, the book of Revelation or the book of Isaiah 6 or the, uh, the, the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, it'll, drive you, uh, it'll blow your mind. It talks about eyes on wheels and all kinds of stuff. But the, the concept is, it's trying to give us this man, man vision, man-made, um, I'm sorry, the way a, a man's human mind can comprehend what God has done in these glorious ways. So as you read Ezekiel 1, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. There are cherubim all over the place and their wings are touching and there are these wheels and they have eyes on them. And Every time the, 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 the voice of Him that's on the throne above them speaks, they put their wings, wings down, they're covering their feet and stuff. And I don't know what's happening here. Just know this. God's glory is so glorious, a man having a, a vision of it, it has a difficult time grasping how we can write and describe it. That's what you see in Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, and Revelation 4. In those passages, by the way, this is just an aside. You can give me a quarter later for this little uh, treat. Ezekiel 1 kind of gives you the, the vision of underneath the throne of God. Isaiah 6 gives you the vision of above the throne of God. And Revelation chapter 4, in the midst of the throne of God. Look at it later. You'll thank me. I promise. It's really, it's really cool. There's nothing as lovely as considering what God has in store for those for, for, for whom He has redeemed. It's incredible. Consider those things that are lovely. And then meditate on that which is commendable. The word there is attractive or praiseworthy. Praiseworthy. And then he says, if there is anything worthy of praise, excuse me, if there is anything excellent, or worthy of praise. So think on things that are morally excellent and worthy of praise. Why think about all of this? Why is this so important? I want to tell you why it's so important to think about these kinds of things. And, well, I know all of that. Have you ever heard someone say that? I know all of that. I've heard teenagers say that. I know all of that. I heard a young adult one time tell me, you know, I I go to church and I hear, I, I, I already know what you're talking about. thinking, buddy, I don't, I don't mean to be rude to you, but I, it took me... like I've been studying since I was 16 years old to do this. And then I studied all week to say this, and you tell me you already knew it all? Then maybe you should get up there and start doing it. Because like, this is taking me a lot of time. God's Word is so full. If, if you don't see the glory of God in His Word, you're missing something. Why is it so important? I'll tell you why it's so important. Why were the people of Israel good at talking a big game, talking spiritually, but living in rejection from God. All of the words of God became academic. Listen to what Jesus said to them, quoting Isaiah, in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart, their heart is far from me. In vain, in emptiness, do they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. It's like, oh yeah, turn to such and such a text. Blah, 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 blah. Turn to such and such a text. Blah, 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 blah. If you have not experienced, if you have not tasted the goodness of God in the land of the living, it doesn't do anything for you. It's just another book like the Quran. It's just another book like the Book of Mormon. Until you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The words of this book serve to condemn, serve to give you some moral guidance, but it will never refresh your soul. It will not lead you to worship until you've tasted that the Lord is good. Until you have found that the bread of life, Jesus, satisfies you. Until you have drunk in the living water from Jesus, you will not thirst and hunger for what God has revealed. It will be the words of the spiritual people instead of the word about Christ. The people of Israel rejected God while speaking lip service to Him. In order for our hearts to be prepared for true, lasting, fruitful worship, we must have our minds engaged by the Spirit and the Word. We must have our minds engaged by the Spirit and the Word. And so we, we constantly come back daily. What does God have to say? Maybe you've read through the Bible once. Maybe you've read through the Bible twice. I bet you that there are some people in here that have read it a hundred times. Do not lose your thirst to hear from God. Do not lose your hunger to taste the Word. To taste what God has given you to nourish your soul. Because if you lose that fervor to taste God through the Word, you will, much like the people of Israel, in vain worship Him. You will not find satisfaction in churchianity. You will only find satisfaction in true worship of a true and living and complete God. Our meditations feed our mind. And our mind influences our will and then can impact our emotions. As we spend time meditating and thinking through the truth of the Bible, it prepares us to surrender our will to God Himself. Which leads us to verse 9. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. A heart surrendered to God is prepared to do the will of God. A heart surrendered to God is prepared to do the will of God. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul uses four words to drive home his point here. Paul taught them. They received it as they heard 
And they also saw the reality of the things he taught in living action in his life. These truths that they have, that have been conveyed and displayed must be put into practice. You and I must put it into practice what we see. We, okay, we're thinking on those things that are true and honorable and just and lovely. We're putting into, in, into our minds that which is pure and commendable. Those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then, and then Monday comes. You know how Monday is. Monday can be rough. Better go back to work on the commute. Some nonsense is going on at whatever office you're working at. Alright, it's kind of hard to put those honorable things into practice. But I'll tell you this. Here's the good news. The fact that you've considered that which is right makes your horrible spirit abundantly clear to you. And that's what we want. We want to have our sinfulness stick out like a sore thumb to us. Why? So I can feel bad and guilty? No. So I can confess my sin. God, I'm really, I'm so miserable. I know this is not what you made me for. I know you have a, a, a purpose and a mission for me. Take this raunchy spirit from me. Take this resentful spirit from me. This lack of forgiveness from me. Take this thirst for this other thing from me. I don't want that. I wonder if God would like to answer that prayer. What do you think? He does! That's praying in accordance with His will. He might not take it away right instantly. Why? Because you're still in the way. I'm still in the way. And so, when I see that nasty, ugly, big thumb sticking out again, dear God, here's my problem again. And then I see it sticking out again. Lord, I'm struggling. Take this from me. Give me, give, excuse me, give me the will to do what's right. Give me the desire for that which is pleasing to you. Change me. Don't give up. Don't despair. I guarantee you, the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, and that stands right here, has to do the same thing. And if the person near you or in front of you says they don't, you know what would happen to them? They're going down the rapids with the current. And that's super easy. Just coasting along. Everything's fine. No problems here. Nothing to see here. I'm doing what's good. I'm doing what's right. No problems. They're lying. The heart of man, that man and that man, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We struggle. The people around you need to repent in, like, repeatedly. This guy here needs to repent repeatedly. It's too much noise going on in my car. I told you to stop that. Hey, stop that. Don't do that anymore. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Okay! I said stop! Ever happened to you? Oh, it's just a, just a little thing. No, it's not. That's just as sinful as someone lusting after a woman. It's just as sinful. Don't, don't take your sin lightly. Don't take your sin lightly. The reason we meditate on what is right is to reveal to us that which is holy. And so when that which is unholy is coming out or residing in my brain, it's easy to identify. And I repent. I confess my sin. And I beg God for His mercy. So that the things that I have learned and heard 
and received and seen, I can practice. I can practice. God wants to make us like His Son. A heart surrendered to God is prepared to do the will of God. The result of this at the end of verse 9 is beautiful. And the God of peace will be with you. I've got to ask you a question. It's beautiful, isn't it? Is this nice? Does it make you happy? All right. Before you read that, you're a Christian. Are, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, did you, did you know that the God of peace was already with you? What if you don't do these things? Is He not with you? He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. All right, so there's got to be more to this than that. Because everyone who's trusted Christ has the Spirit of God and God Himself dwelling in them permanently until the day of redemption and then we're in His presence forever. Right? So it's got to mean something in addition to that He's just there. Remember this. When you're reading these letters to the churches, He's not talking to Robert. He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. There's something unique that God is making a promise here about a church that is willing to meditate on the things that are true and right. Meditate on those things that that lead toward holiness and righteousness and truth. That, That church that's willing to surrender our will to do the will of God and to do the things that He said. God says, I am with you. Not taking your candlestick away, buddy. You know what I mean by that? Read Revelation 2 and 3 later on if you don't know what I mean by that. God's not removing our candlestick. God says, I will empower you, church, to do my will. I'll be there. I will give you peace and I will allow your peace to emanate from you because the God of peace will be with you. That's glorious. We need this. The ability to think on virtuous, praiseworthy things is a result of God's work of making us alive. Did you know that? The ability to think on virtuous, praiseworthy things is a result of God's work of making us alive. He has taken us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He has made possible the crucifixion of our sinful passions and the nurturing of our spiritual passions. Did you know that? I I don't like naturally, ooh, I've always been seeking after God. Well, the Bible would contend with you. None seek after God. Oh, since I was a child, I mean, if you've been seeking after God from a child, it's because God did that in you, okay? Don't take credit for it. Spiritual life only comes from God. He is in the midst right now of transforming us into the image of His Son. He's not done yet. He's still working. Our responsibility from our passage this morning is to consider the meditations of our heart. Remember this statement, and I mentioned it already, the statement of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our thought life reveals what we treasure. Your thought life reveals what you treasure. Sometimes it's good to think about this. Okay, Lord, what's on my mind all the time? What's on my mind all the time? What is driving me? That's my treasure. Then, after you find out what that treasure is, ask yourself this question. Is that treasure going to get me anywhere? What's that treasure going to do for me? How long will that treasure last? Will that treasure satisfy? 
if God or Jesus is the treasure, then the answer to that is yes. If it's anything else, I'm just going to emphatically tell you it's not going to happen for you. Listen, I love my wife. I could, my wife, she's my favorite person. I can't imagine life without my wife. Some of you ex- have experienced that pain. I'm sorry for you. I can't imagine life without my wife. She is a treasure. If she's the treasure, ooh, buddy, you've got some problems because she's not always going to be there. And I'm not always going to be there. Things change. People die. If a friend of mine who lives in Florida now, he lost his wife just a few years ago. It's a, it's a traumatic and a horrible thing. If your spouse is your treasure, you're going to be having some bad days coming your way. But does that mean you don't treasure your spouse? I, I treasure my wife. She is glorious to me. She's beautiful and smart and sweet and funny and strong. Um, I, I could name eight thousand adjectives about my wife. I love her to pieces, but if she's my treasure, if she's the treasure of my heart, it's the wrong thing, buddy. It's the wrong thing, brother. You and I need to recognize what is this treasure of my heart? Will it last? Will it satisfy? What will this treasure accomplish? Having God and Christ and His Word as our treasure reaps an eternal harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that You'd help us to think well, to think rightly, in accordance with Your truth, in accordance with what You've revealed. And that in that consideration of those things, You would bring to pass the truth of Your Word in our lives for Your glory. Help us as we struggle. We, we all have challenges in these areas. We pray that You would Reveal to us where we might be holding back. Reveal in us what is distracting us from truly having You as our treasure. And we pray, Father, in the process of meditating upon that which is true and holy and righteous, that You would prepare our hearts for obedience. And in that obedience, that You would be glorified and that the world around us would see Your love and light in us and come to know You, I'm to know you through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.